The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Well, that was Bill Belichick, but he's been knocked down the peg. Just, just a half click, Peter King, because as we come on the air on this Tuesday edition of PFTPM, there is yet another news nugget. Andy Dalton, a.k.a. the Red Rifle. Remember the time J.J. Watt butchered his nickname after a, a Monday night win by the Texans over the Bengals? Anyway, he will now be rifling for, according to Adam Schefter of ESPN, the Chicago Bears. Instant analysis because we didn't know about it 30 seconds ago. Good afternoon, Peter. What do you think of Dalton to the Bears? Well, Mike, I mean, there's three very quick points. Number one, I guess this means that all those people who thought that Russell Wilson was a lock to go to the Chicago Bears, and they had so many great things to trade, didn't they, Mike? The 20th pick in the draft. I mean, that is so valuable. Isn't that worth a Hall of Fame quarterback, the 20th pick in the draft? I have okay. a feeling there would have been I'm more just, added to it. Once they restructured Right, there Khalil would have Mack, been a little more. That, that, but the okay, Bears so, went away once they so, restructured Khalil Mack. Yeah, I right, thought. right. But anyway, so the first thing is Russell Wilson now. Okay, but the second thing is that, you know, at some point, you've got to stop dreaming about who your quarterback is going to be. Washington stopped dreaming last night about 10 o'clock. And they said, okay, we're going to camp and and our quarterback is most likely going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick or Taylor Heineke, Tyler Heineke, Taylor, Tyler, whatever. But so they, they stopped dreaming last night about what might happen, okay? The Chicago Bears today stopped dreaming and got into reality and said, we better get the best possible guy who we can to quarterback our team this year. So now they go to camp, probably, with Foles and Andy Dalton, may the best man win. And I think the third thing to say is Andy Dalton did a good job with his opportunity in Dallas last year. It didn't show up in the one-loss column, but he played creditably for a team that at the time he went in the lineup was a bad team, and he made it better. Second-round pick of the Bengals in 2011. This is year number 11 for Andy Dalton. The Bengals cut him loose last season in advance of drafting Joe Burrow first overall, and then he landed with the Dallas Cowboys and did play a decent amount after the Dak Prescott injury. He had some injury issues of his own. Dalton did. He had a COVID-19 stint as well. But $10 million for one year, that matches the base value that Washington is giving to Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't think it necessarily takes the Bears out of play at number 20, just like Fitzpatrick doesn't take Washington out of play at number 19. But what it does, it makes it less obvious that they may be thinking quarterback. It would have been obvious if neither of these teams had signed a veteran to a contract that screams 
we're willing to let this guy play for a year. So I think the Bears, depending upon who slides through the teens, still in play at 20, just like Washington, Peter, still in play at 19. Well, who is in play at that time? Probably Mac Jones only, and that's a very big maybe. You'd really have to be in love with Mac Jones because, to me, I I don't think Mac Jones is going to be there at number 19. I think you're going to have to trade up to the middle of the round or to the very early teens to have a chance to get Mac Jones. But be that as it may, what this says today is that everyone in the league knows right now that these top four quarterbacks in this draft are not getting out of the top 10. They're just not. So you don't have a good chance to get Trey Lance unless you blow up your draft in the next two years. Or you don't have a good chance to get Justin Fields unless you want to blow up your draft in the next couple of years. So that is what both of these moves tell me. The move at number 19 of Washington to get Ryan Fitzpatrick and the move at number 20 where they are drafting this year, Washington and Chicago, 19 and 20. At 20, the Bears to get Andy Dalton. And Andy Dalton did take the Bengals to the playoffs five straight years to start his career. The guy has done some good things. He's never won a playoff game, but uh, you know it's not like the Bears have a long history of franchise quarterbacks. He comes in there and he gives them stability, potentially, and some credibility. Yeah, there was a report last night that the Bears were interested in Jameis Winston. Well, given that the Saints signed him to a base contract of $5.5 million for 2021, they could have had Jameis Winston if they were going to pay $10 million for their veteran quarterback. Dalton ends up being the guy. It comes at a time when the 49ers were reportedly very interested in Andy Dalton, and now the Bears have something that they can say, okay, here we go. This is our guy. Let's see what we can do, and let's try to put something together and make some chicken salad out of a situation where everyone's job potentially is on the line, Peter. And and look, we'll see. Look, they could have done a hell of a lot worse than Andy Dalton. I know that's not a ringing endorsement, but it's true. They could have done a hell of a lot worse, and you can argue for the past couple of years they have done worse than what Andy Dalton could do for them. And look, you put it this way. I would assume that they will hang on to uh, Nick Foles. But again, you know, this has been such a weird offseason, and it hasn't even started yet, technically, you know, because the start of the league year, it hasn't even started. But but here's sort of the way I look at all of this, Mike. It's that, you know, everybody has dreams of, of what they want their team to be, of what they want their quarterback situation to be, of, of, of everything. But at the end of the day, there's only X number of opportunities to make your team better. And I think that the realistic thing to do is what both Washington and Chicago have done, you know, in the last 24 hours. And that is to get a guy who you say, if we got the team around him, we can win with this quarterback. Both of these teams, the defense is good enough to win, uh, you know, to be better than 500 and to be a playoff team with those quarterbacks playing. Now, will they? I, we just don't have any idea if they're going to be, if the rest of the team is going to be that good. But in my opinion, both of these teams did the pragmatic thing, not the Dusty Springfield wishing and hoping thing. Now, a timely reference. Now you sound like me. 
I have another one for you. Are you ready to pivot from Chicago to another quarterback situation? Are you ready? Are you sitting down? Yes, you are. How about this one? Hot off the presses. Another Shefty bomb. The Houston Texans have a new quarterback, and his name is Tyrod Taylor. One year, up to $12.5 million. Speaking of reality, it's possible that Nick Casario, Jack Easterby, David Culley, and company are finally accepting reality and preparing what could be a little bit of a transaction that would involve Deshaun Watson going elsewhere, Peter. The first thing I hear, the first thing I think when I hear that is Carolina Panthers. Because, you know, Mike, I've thought all along, that Carolina has got the best chance to make this deal. Now, they could probably make uh, you know a better deal because it involves the third pick overall in the draft. You know, because we're obviously talking about the Miami Dolphins and Tua Tonga-Valoa. However, I just think that when push comes to shove, that Carolina and uh, and a very aggressive owner and a willing GM and coach uh, are going to put the most in that package, except, except, you know, they can't put the third pick in the first round, but they can put the eighth pick in the first round. And this may be yet another situation for Tyrod Taylor where he shows up, they clear out Deshaun <laughs> Watson, and then the Texans draft someone, and here comes Dr. Needle, and Tyrod Taylor loses his job again, right? I mean, well, he can't win. He cannot win, especially if they would do a deal with the Jets or the Dolphins and get a top three pick, or the Panthers, if it is the Panthers, and a top eight pick. That's what the Panthers hold. We know the Panthers and David Tepper, they were in the team very motivated to get a franchise quarterback. The one thing we don't know about Deshaun Watson is which teams he will accept a trade to. His agent has yet to go on the record and provide a short list of the teams that Watson would play for. Carolina, Miami has always been believed to be the secret winner there. Denver, which has the ninth overall pick, also could be in play. But I think this Tyrod Taylor transaction, and up to 125 who knows what that means? Jameis Winston was up to 12.5, and it's really 5.5. The incentives come if you play, and Tyrod Taylor may be understanding there's a good chance he's going to play. That kind of expenditure tells me he's not being brought in with the clear cut, you're the backup to Deshaun Watson. It feels like the dam has finally broken, Peter, and the next move is going to be having an auction. And you suggested a blind auction for Deshaun Watson when we did PFT Live on Friday. Some sort of an auction. Find out where he'll play, take the offers, leverage teams against each other, and maximize your return for Deshaun Watson. The reason that the blind auction is the smartest is it makes you, uh, or it makes David Tepper, to me, pay the most. It makes him sit around a conference table and say, Hey, I know we we we've already offered three ones, and Teddy Bridgewater and whatever. I I know we've already offered this, but you know we should consider upping the draft choice compensation to include a second second round pick or you know another third round pick. And the way you do that is if you don't know what is behind door number two, you are fixing to be behind door number three. But behind door number one and door number two, you don't know what that is. So a blind auction means that you're probably going to pay more than you would 
if you were, you know, going back and forth with the Texans and, and you were trying to figure out what is the best deal we can make. Here, you've got to make probably better than the best deal you'd like to make because you're just not sure what other teams are going to do. Well, amazing that it's happened, and it really does finally suggest that that what David Culley said to Jim Trotter and Steve Weish in the podcast that dropped a half hour before the press conference where he tried to say, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain, another timely reference, that that comment that he made to Weish and Trotter is the truth. They were just waiting and biding their time and preparing to implement a plan so they get the bird in the hand in Tyrod Taylor before they move on. And you have to wonder whether or not Washington and Chicago are kicking themselves for moving as quickly as they did for Fitzpatrick and Dalton. And, and oh, by the way, I, not that it would happen. We've seen it happen with players. I think it it's almost impossible to think a team would do this. But Washington or Chicago could say, whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry, Andy. Sorry, Ryan. We want to exhaust this Deshaun Watson thing before we we commit to anything again theoretically possible but I doubt that either team would do it becomes very hard to do business with the agent community when you start doing things like that Peter yeah I I don't think look I mean let let me just ask you this if you're the Chicago Bears right now okay if you're the Chicago Bears right now if you're Ryan Pace right now there is no question that you have to before you know, the next 24 hours is up. You have to make sure that, you know, Nick Casario understands that, hey, listen, we always wanted to get in this derby. We're making this signing because we don't necessarily believe that there was going to be a derby. So this is why we're doing it. Have you changed your mind? And if so, you know, can we get involved? And I, I don't think Nick Casario, first of all, there's no way that Nick Casario, in my opinion, is going to be interested in what the Chicago Bears have to right. offer. The same way that, you know, there's no way that Seattle, all things being equal, would be interested in what Chicago had to offer for Russell Wilson because the number one thing that it starts with is the 20th pick in the draft. You're not answering your quarterback needs unless you, like when you drafted Russell Wilson 75th overall in 2012, there's another way down the line guy uh, that that you love and you think is a long-term starter. That's a needle in a haystack thing. Tom Brady at 199 and Russell Wilson at 75 come along once in a generation. So I, I doubt sincerely that happens. So I, I don't think that we're going to see a, a, the, the Bears turning their back on, on Andy Dalton in this deal. And I agree with you completely, Peter. I don't think Ryan Pace and the rest of the Bears' brain trust get to the point where they do the unofficial deal with Andy Dalton if they haven't exhausted every potential avenue, making sure there's no way to get from here to there as it relates to a Russell Wilson trade, making sure that Deshaun Watson isn't interested in Chicago like Wilson had Chicago on his short list, making sure that there's no one else out there. You cross off everyone else before you settle on Andy Dalton. I mean, Dalton's not your plan A per se, He's just your most viable option after you've explored all others, and that's fine. 
But I, I agree with you. Even though theoretically Washington could cut and run on Fitzpatrick and Chicago could cut and run on Dalton and get into Watson, it would be it would be negligent for both teams or either team to have made that commitment without knowing exactly where they stood on getting Watson if it's something that would cause them to say, holy crap, whoa, stop the presses, another timely reference. They don't even have presses anymore. Stop the presses. We're going after Deshaun Watson. It's they, 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 Those teams knew that was their best play, dollar for dollar, and given the options and given what they'd have to give up and given what they could give up. I think you're right. That's the key. They don't have the ammunition to make one of those moves. They're not getting back in. And now the question becomes who's coming to the table for Deshaun Watson. Would it be the Jets? Will it be the Dolphins? Will it be the Panthers? Who else is out there that potentially could be in play for Deshaun Watson? If, if, and with the Texans, you never quite know what the hell they're thinking, but the, the most reasonable interpretation of what's occurred is Deshaun Watson, Peter, now in play. Your, your gut reaction was Panthers. Mine is Dolphins. But it's going to be fun to see what happens. And it could move pretty quickly now that, now that we know that the cat's out of the bag and that the Texans seem to be ready to pivot away from Deshaun Watson. Mike, I had thought all along, going back a month or so, uh, I really thought that that they were going to try to play hardball with him until after the draft. And in other words, to say, look, we, uh, we're not trading you, period. No trade, no trade, no trade. And I really think that what has happened in the intervening time is a couple of things. I think that there has become, and which is why I don't think they should have done anything uh, you know, a month ago. I think they needed to see the resolve uh, on, you know, the part of Deshaun Watson. And however that resolve has shown itself, and we will find out at some point fairly soon, they clearly have seen that there is resolve on the part of uh, the Deshaun Watson side. But I think the second thing is that it's easy, it's very easy to say, for instance, okay, we're going to make you sit the ear, okay? And Mike, theoretically, they just signed Tyrod Taylor to play quarterback for him. They still could make Deshaun Watson sit the ear. They could still stick it to Deshaun Watson. You know, I doubt they will. You doubt they will. But I just believe that one of the things... If you're actually going to try to win football games this year, try to win and not have this sordid gray cloud over your head of Deshaun Watson just sitting out there, you know, and people talking about him all the time, okay? If you don't want that, then you do have to trade him. And the best time to trade him is now between now and the draft. I perked up when you said that, though, because, again, one of the biggest challenges for the rational, and I am willing to consider myself among the rational, some may disagree, is to predict the behaviors of the irrational. And one thing that the Texans have seemed to be for the past year, and it's one year to the day since they traded DeAndre Hopkins, irrational is what they've seemed to be. So would it be a stunner based on their recent behavior? If they would say, yeah, we just got Tyrod Taylor because Deshaun Watson doesn't want to play. We need a quarterback. Deshaun, you can go ahead and sit. And right. if you decide to stay, we'll keep Deshaun Watson. 
with Tyrod Taylor as his backup. He's used to being a backup. He ends up being a backup everywhere he goes once the rookie ends up taking over. He, he's happy to take up the $12.5 million to sit on the bench. So I, I don't think that's as small of a blip on the edge of the radar screen as you do because I just can't predict what the Texans are going to do because they're so damn unpredictable. And I don't think it's well, intentional. I, I don't think it's small. I don't think it's impossible. I think it's very possible. I, I don't. I wouldn't say it's likely, but you know, on a scale of one to ten, how could that happen? Yeah, I think it's two or three, but but I think at the end of the day, okay, Nick Casario is a competitive person. When I asked Drew Rosenhaus on my podcast, I interviewed him a couple of hours ago. When I asked him, why is it that with one third of the amount of money? that teams have this year versus last year. Why has there been more action on the first day? And he just said, you know, these guys are so competitive. And we should realize that, that if the, if the quality of player in free agency is better, and it is in 2021 versus 2020, and even though you only have one-third of the amount of money all, all together, all told, it has been proven in the last few days that with voidable years and other vehicles to do these contracts, if you want to borrow from the future, you can sign these guys. And that's what we've seen. And I do think that that Nick Casario, at some point, if he's not already there, is going to realize, I don't want to put out a team that I know is going 2-14. and 14. I want to start building this team post Deshaun Watson and the only way I can do that is with a slew of draft picks this year next year and maybe into 2023 the Jacksonville Jaguars announced today a season ticket campaign along with a 7.2 percent increase in season ticket prices over last year to the extent that they had they did have a decent number of fans at those games because uh, they were in Florida and Florida allowed it the Jaguars spending money to make the team better. And Peter, just two moves that have happened since the show began. One, Lions receiver, formerly with the Bengals, now a free agent, Marvin Jones, going to the Jaguars. And Malcolm Brown, veteran defensive tackle, traded by the Saints to the Jaguars tomorrow at 4 o'clock Eastern when the league year begins. The Jaguars doing what they can to remake a team that just three years ago was on the cusp of the Super Bowl. And now with Urban Meyer there as the coach and Trent Baalke as the GM, they're making a ton of moves to try to get that team ready for the arrival, presumably, of Trevor Lawrence as the number one overall pick and an, a, an attempt by the Jaguars to, to become consistently relevant and consistently contend in the AFC South. This offseason for the Jaguars has to be about one thing and one thing only, and that is putting a core of players around Trevor Lawrence to begin the building process to be competitive again. You know, one person who knows uh, who knows Urban Meyer very well uh, is Jimmy Johnson. And when I talked to Jimmy, I don't know, a week or so before uh, Urban Meyer actually took this job, the one thing he said was, and he stressed it, said Urban knows he's going to lose some games and he's ready for it. And I think that is the one thing that's a little bit different. When you take over a program at Ohio State, you know every year you're going 12-2 and two or however many games you play. 
You know, and in the NFL, you have to be prepared, at least occasionally, to go 5-11. and 11. That's just the way life is in the NFL, especially when you're being hired to resuscitate a moribund franchise. That is what is going on right now in Jacksonville, building steadily and slowly to try to get players who can be part of a winning program. And I think you made the point, uh, maybe you didn't, but I'm going to give you credit for it anyway, the idea that Urban Meyer at Ohio State, if you lose one or two games, you're done. At the NFL level, you can lose five or six and still find the gas pedal around Thanksgiving, just like the Buccaneers did this year. You don't have that same torment if you lose early in the year. Now, if you go 4-12, and 12, you're not getting in unless you're part of the NFC East. But uh, I, I, I think that maybe Meyer won't get as twisted up by losing as right. as we assume. And, and oh, Jimmy Johnson was 1-15, Peter, his first year. So I think he knows the topic of that adjustment and what it takes to tear down a crap team and build up something new. And the one other factor in all this, Mike, I think is that, you know, Urban Meyer knows that this is all about surrounding Trevor Lawrence with very good talent. And I think that's why I, 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 I like what Jacksonville is doing because they're not throwing stupid money at me, huge money at mediocre players. You know, they're throwing middle, middle of the road money at okay players, you know, okay to good players. So, you know, what, what I'm sure that Trent Baalke, uh, the general manager has impressed upon, um, Urban Meyer is that, listen, when the time comes and we can buy premium players, let's, let's buy them. But right now we're not quite there. In my opinion, part of my strategy, if I'm the Jaguars right now, is making sure that I enter next year with the most money to spend. Because, Mike, one of the things that no one really is talking about in, in all of the, the money that's been spent, figuratively speaking, in the last 24 hours, is you know the salary cap is not going to be $215 million next year. The salary cap's just going to go up some. It's not going to go up a huge amount. Because remember, for people who don't recall this, everybody said, oh boy, it's gone. It went down from 198 to 182 this year. So next year, it's going to start going up again and everything will be fine. It, 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 there's still plenty to catch up from in 2022 or yeah, 2022 and beyond because they aren't at ground zero coming back from uh, all the money that's owed to them in, in the cap. So next year, what's the cap going to be? Maybe 195? I don't even know. But it's not going to be a giant increase. If I'm the Jaguars, I want to be number one on that list again next year. 
Yeah, the agreement between the league and the union was to spread the losses from the pandemic over three years. Remember, the players got 100 cents on the dollar last year, even though the owners did not. The owners took a loss. It gets spread out over multiple years. It will start moving up. It should, especially if the stadiums are full this year. But it's not going to go right back to where it would have been, especially because next year it would have been maybe 220 when you consider it would have been 208 this year. It was going up 10 million a year. And now it's basically 25 million behind where it would have been because of the pandemic, which I saw a report, I think it was from Sports Business Journal, the estimate of $4 billion in losses uh, for the NFL last year in revenue from $16 billion down to $12 billion because of the pandemic. All right, we have completely ripped up and ignored what our outline for the show was because of these moves. When we return, we'll get started where we plan to begin with the New England Patriots and everything they're doing in this offseason. More PFTPM right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you think it was all because they had a lousy year last year? I believe so. Uh, And again, because they had an advantage this year that most teams didn't have. They had the room. They have a great owner in Robert Kraft. He's, he's got the cash. Um, they've always been a team that's been able to get deals done uh, and been aggressive when they've wanted to be. And they just, uh, I, you know, from my standpoint, they took advantage of uh, an edge that they had. I think we all agree that Belichick is very good at taking advantage of opportunities, and he did this year. He knew there were a lot of teams that didn't have cap room and wouldn't have the ability to, to go out and add great football players. And, and he did the exact opposite. He went and did that. He went and improved his football team by leaps and bounds. I think everyone, everybody would agree this roster is incredibly improved from the one that they ended the season with. Before we turn to the matter at hand, something far more important, a little Drew Rosenhaus trivia. That terrarium to his right, now they may not be alive still, but at some point within the last five years, that terrarium contained two turtles named Cuff and Link, the same names as the turtles owned by Rocky Balboa in the original Rocky movie. How's that for incredibly irrelevant and meaningless trivia on a Tuesday afternoon? Do you know more about Drew Rosenhaus or more about every episode of Seinfeld? No, that's all I know about Drew Rosenhaus. He had two turtles (laughs) in that tank because I once interviewed him in that tank and we were making small talk. And I remember Cuff and Link because I like I like uh, the Rocky movie and I thought that was kind of cool. It's very cool what the Patriots are doing with their effort to try to to shed the first losing season since 2000. It clearly bugged them. And even though I don't think they planned to go into this year with all that cap space, once they realized it was just going to happen, the plan pivoted to, hey, 
we're going to clean up next year. We're going to strategically hold this money until next year. And then everyone else is going to be scrambling because they don't understand what's going to happen with the cap. We do. And we're going to be able to go out and we're going to be able to spend. Peter, I never dreamed they'd spend right out of the gates. I thought they'd wait and bargain shop. I was stunned yesterday as they racked up what was, as of earlier today, seven guys, and they just keep going. They're addressing their needs, and they're doing what they can to make themselves into a contender. And it's going to be fun to see what Bill Belichick does to pull all these guys together in one offseason and get them ready to go. You know, Mike, what this really reminds me of, even in a weird, weird, you know, just a much more explosive way, is 2001. Now, going way back in time, and I texted Scott Pioli today, who was the personnel guy for Bill Belichick at that time. And in 2001, they're coming off their first season uh, with the Patriots. They go 5-11. and 11. Uh, They're not very good. And they've been totally hamstrung in 2001. Not totally hamstrung, but hamstrung. Because they've just given Drew Bledsoe a 10-year, $103 million contract. A lot of money up front. And the salary cap at the time is $67 bucks. So they don't have a lot of money in free agency that year. And so I reminded Pioli of how they signed every middle-class free agent, including Mike Vrabel, by the way. And 20 years ago an today. And an invaluable piece. Yeah. An invaluable piece of their Super Bowl puzzle, that first one. Otis Smith, the cornerback. But so Pioli reminded me, he goes, yeah, 23 players we signed. And the guaranteed bonuses in those contracts totaled or $2.5 million. And so it's a little bit different when your guarantees to the first seven guys you signed in a 24-hour period uh, 20 years later is $95 million. So it's a little bit different. But I think it's, it's wrong to suggest that Bill Belichick doesn't use every different way to build his team. We're all shocked that especially that he that he's he, he's he's basically ripped up the tight end market. But but Mike, there's one other quick thing you have to you have to think about when you see the Patriots go crazy in free agency at the skill positions. It just emphasizes what a bad job Belichick and his personnel staff have done in the last two or three years to buttress their skill positions. And Keel Harry, the two-third at the end of the first round a couple of years ago, and then the two third round picks on tight ends last year. All of those three players, high picks, look to be busts. And a failure not just of drafting and analysis there, but also development. And it's hard to tell which came first and which caused the guy to bust, but the combination is between the guys they trusted and their efforts to develop them, it's failed. So it's better off for the Patriots to go out and sign guys who are proven commodities that other teams have drafted and developed. And it's out of character for the Patriots to do this as extensively as they have. But, Peter, look, I I think, and one of the things that occurred to me today, the Patriots always very sensitive to the compensatory draft pick formula. Well, not this year, not with all these unrestricted free agents. They're not getting any compensatory draft picks in 2022. And, you know, Maybe Bill Belichick doesn't care. Maybe Bill Belichick, and he has said before, he's not going to be like Marv Levy coaching into his 70s. That was years ago. It's easy to say that when you're not on the brink of 70. But maybe he meant it. 
And maybe this is it next year or two for him, trying to go all in one more time or next year after that to get to number seven. Those compensatory draft picks next year mean nothing if you're operating on maybe a two- or a three-year plan at most. So that could be part of it as well. Time will tell whether or not Belichick is getting close to the end. Who would have dreamed, though, that Belichick possibly could walk away before Tom Brady would? And Tom Brady, by the way, walking back into New England this year. They are going to have a better team than we thought they were going to have when Tom Brady shows up whenever that game is. And that game is even more fascinating now, Peter. When we talked about this last on Friday... When Cam Newton had resigned, that's one thing. Now you start adding all these other pieces, and this Patriots team is going to be in a position to give the Buccaneers everything they can handle if these new pieces all work out, and that's a long way to go. And also, also, what time in the season you get the Buccaneers is going to be a factor. You get them early before all these pieces have gelled, you're playing a team that's bringing everyone back from a Super Bowl championship. The Patriots are going to want to get this game as late as they possibly can on the calendar. I think one of the other issues now, Mike, when you talk about when you play certain teams, I think I think the other part of this right now is, and I am starting to hear that at least optimism, optimism from some teams, you know, at a very high level, that they may be able to start some in-person off-season workouts in June. Now, optimism is not reality. I can't, I, I don't know this. I don't think anybody knows it yet. We're going to have to see what happens with the pandemic. We're going to have to see, as I wrote about it the other day, how many players actually get the vaccine and, 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 and how the protocols are going to work for that. But all of that, all of that, if you are Bill Belichick, you want Janu Smith, Hunter Henry, you want them in camp of some camp of some sort to be working on the field and not by Zoom call, you know, with your quarterback, Cam Newton. You want them throwing together this spring and summer extensively. So that to me is really, really important. And as is, as is, I think Bill Belichick, if indeed it is, as I suspect, three preseason games, 17 regular season games this year. If that is what it is, Bill Belichick is going to play his guys in the preseason, I would bet, more than he ever has played his veterans in the preseason before. Jacoby Brissett, once upon a time, was on the quarterback depth chart for the New England Patriots. He got some playing time in 2016 after Jimmy Garoppolo got injured during the Tom Brady suspension. The Patriots traded Brissett to the Colts, I think right after. <laughs> Wasn't it right after Andrew Luck? Uh, or no, he was already there when Andrew Luck retired. No, he was there. He the starter. Yeah. He was there. He's now in Miami, or at least he will be as of tomorrow. Uh, another development that's happened during this show, Adam Schefter reports that Jacoby Brissett heading to Miami, either to be the relief pitcher for Tua or the backup to Deshaun Watson or whatever else they may do, Peter. But uh, they, they needed that veteran presence with Ryan Fitzpatrick leaving, and there is that familiarity between Brian Flores, the coach of the Patriots, and the other former Patriots staff members who are on that Miami roster now. And uh, I guess it makes sense for Brissett to end up as the backup to whoever the starter ends up being in Miami. Here's what I find interesting about this, Mike. The Indianapolis Colts very, very, very much wanted uh, Jacoby Brissett back. And they realized that if Jacoby Brissett 
has a situation that's going to be better, a better opportunity for possible playing time, that Jacoby Brissett was going to go there. So it's interesting to me that Brissett feels like, and I think we both would think, just just a gut feeling, gut feeling, it's most likely that Tua Tonga-Valoa is the opening day starter for the Miami Dolphins at quarterback. And so it's interesting that if you're Jacoby Brissett and you're thinking, where do I have the best chance to play during the season 2021? Indianapolis behind Carson Wentz, Miami behind Tua Tonga-Valoa, back home because he is a South Florida guy. Where do I have the best chance? He views that he has the best chance in Miami. That is very interesting to me. One last point before we take a break. Shefty, who reported that Andy Dalton is going to Chicago to get us off of our planned outline at the top of the hour. Shefty reports, Peter, that the Bears made an aggressive play to try to get Russell Wilson, but the Seahawks didn't bite. And it goes back to your point. What do the Bears have that they could send to Seattle to help the Seahawks feel comfortable with whoever their quarterback was going to be. You ain't going to get it done with the 20th pick in the draft. But that and and I see that Seahawks fans on social media are saying he's not leaving, he's not leaving. It doesn't mean he's not leaving. Just because he didn't get traded to Chicago doesn't mean he's not leaving. At least they listened. They did shoot it down, but they listened and that doesn't solve all the problems or all the issues, Peter. I still think well, we know Deshaun Watson's in play, or at least we think he is, based on the Tyrod Taylor arrival. I think Russell Wilson's still potentially in play to a team that has the right draft assets for the Seattle Seahawks. Last week in my column, I wrote the Bears are screwed. They got no chance to get Russell Wilson. So immediately, of course, you know, the pushback comes to say, well, what are you talking about? We got this, 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 and this, and this. And I, I just said, I answered a couple of uh questions that were emailed to me at my column at Football Morning in America. And, and one of the things I said was, I said, any trade that begins with this trade nugget, this little trade piece, the 20th pick in the NFL draft, and I said, and just remember, if Russell Wilson is on the Chicago Bears in 2021, the pick is not going to be better than the 20th pick next year and probably not better than the 20th pick the year after. So you're going to be picking in the 20s. You know, if you get those picks from the Chicago Bears, why in the world would John Schneider even think of doing that anyway? We'll take a break. And when we return, we'll discuss whatever news happens to break in the next 90 seconds, because surely there will be something else. More PFTPM right after this. The Eagles have given Zach Ertz permission to seek a trade, which is kind of odd because the Eagles have been trying to trade Zach Ertz for a while now. But this, this I think, Peter, encapsulates the notion that Ertz is going to have to do something with his contract as part of a trade. Not that he has to take less, but he's been jostling for more. And I think the only way a trade works is if he's happy with where he's going and he's getting a new contract as he walks through the door. And the Eagles basically throw their hands in the air and say to Ertz, you go, you go set this up and you see what you can get, and we'll give it our blessing or not. 
my gut feeling is he's going to be disappointed about the money. Um, and But I do think that if he's hugely reasonable with his contract and goes knocking at the door of the Indianapolis Colts, look, everybody says, hey, the Colts have all this money. Why aren't they in the Derby? It's a very simple reason. They have a lot of guys that they're going to need to pay, you know? And so they don't want to to sign guys to big deals after last year trading for DeForest Buckner and rewarding him with huge money. They can't afford to do that. That is not the way you build a long-term great team. The way you build a long-term great team is with a good quarterback and then players on both sides of the ball that you draft and develop. Darius Leonard, Quentin Nelson, etc. You draft, develop, and pay those guys on a second contract. That's the smart way to go. I'm not saying that Zach Ertz won't go to Indianapolis, but I am saying that he, I don't think he'll go there for really significant money. Also, the factor that gets overlooked more than any other, just because a team has cap space does not mean it has cash. The owners lost money last year, and not every owner has other multi-billion dollar business interests that thrived last year during the pandemic. Some of these owners don't have the money to write the checks right now. And uh, that's part of it too. They don't want to spend the cash, even if they have the cap space, the bills made a run at Rob Gronkowski. I'd, I'd be intrigued to see if the bills have interest in Zach Ertz to add him to a tight end depth chart that includes Dawson Knox. Leonard Williams has a three year him. deal with the New York giants, Peter, $45 million guaranteed on that three-year deal. I was on WFAN earlier today, and we talked about the difficulty of doing a long-term deal with a guy who's entering his second franchise tag. How do you value next year? Because next year, he's not getting tagged again. He's becoming a free agent, but they figured it out, and surely the cap number is going to be lower than what it would have been under the second franchise tag for Leonard Williams. The thing that would be disappointing to me if I am Dave Gettleman, if I'm Joe Judge, that... Keeping Leonard Williams cost this team Dalvin Tomlinson, who, uh, for my money, is the second-best defensive player on that team. And so the fact that Tomlinson now is a, whatever, $11 million a year player for the next couple of years with the Vikings, I thought that was a great signing. I thought he was a top-10 value player in free agency, and to get him for $11 million a year is a great deal. Very bad for the New York Giants. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And uh, this Williams thing, at least they finally have some peace of mind uh, because it had felt so tenuous. John Ross, a one-year deal with the Giants, one of the fastest guys ever to be at the scouting combine, but usually the fast guys at the scouting combine don't pan out and John Ross. He will continue to be time. a disappointment. And in Cincinnati, Shaq Barrett, not a disappointment for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Shaq Barrett was on with Dan Patrick earlier today. Here is, do we have the sound or we don't have the sound? Here is Shaq Barrett uh, talking about his decision to stay with the Bucs. It was pretty much was Tampa and Tampa and Tampa. He was giving Tampa every opportunity to, uh, to keep me here and to uh, make it work. And it, uh, it worked out perfectly. So I really didn't want to have to leave and go anywhere else to be honest. That's why I said it from the jump that Tampa was my plan A, and uh, I'm happy that I had to get the plan B. This confirms my suspicion, Peter, that Jason Light, the GM of the Buccaneers, gave Shaq Barrett an offer and said, as of noon Monday, if you don't take it, there's plenty of pass rushers out there. We have to go get somebody yes. else. So it's there. 
And as a clock, what happened? Clock strikes 12 within minutes. Shaq Barrett's staying in Tampa because, uh, oh, and what a shock. Any offers that came in before the beginning of the negotiating window, and we all know that they do, they weren't better than what the Buccaneers were offering. But here's the other part of this, at least the way I look at it. And look, I would have done exactly what Jason Light uh, and his aide, Mike Greenberg, have done in Tampa. And that obviously Bruce Arians wants to do. I would bring the band back. But I just want to caution. I want to throw some cold water on this notion that bringing everybody back is absolutely categorically the best idea for your team. We don't know if it's the best idea for your team. Everybody was so aligned and so perfectly happy in in 2020 when Tom Brady came in and when I asked the question in in August to Cameron Brady, there's only going to be one football. How are you guys all going to get along? He goes, if you'd been around here for the losing that we've had, And what a bummer it was to be around here on so many Sundays. Believe me, you're not going to care about your stats. So I agree. And and they, they showed that this year. Good for them. How will it work in year two after you have that ring? And, and I'm not, I'm not looking to, to, you know, throw a wet blanket on this. I'm just simply saying that bringing everybody back certainly does not guarantee a second championship. And Peter, I've always been a believer that a team that wants to repeat should go find a veteran who doesn't have a Super Bowl ring, who really wants one, who can come in and just kind of restart that engine and get guys to not be complacent. But you know what? You got Tom Brady, whose mission is to get more. However many more is. If it's seven, then it's eight. If it's eight, then it's nine. And that's why I think for for any other team, the idea of keeping the band together yeah, you can get complacent, you can get soft, you can get fat, you can get lazy, you can get you can get uh, satisfied, you can lose your edge, you're going out to climb the same mountain that you've already climbed once, what's the big deal, what's the attraction, we just climbed that damn mountain. With Tom Brady, I think that's what changes it, because he's going to continue to have that force of personality that is going to keep everyone on the same page, that is going to drive them the way he was driven by Bill Belichick, and that's why I think for them it works. Because of Brady. Any other team? I agree with you a thousand percent. You're, it's impossible to think you're going to get back there. With Brady, you can't say it is. Not the way he's performed over the years. Oh, I, I, I agree with you, Mike. I just don't think it's a lock that uh, you know everybody goes to Vegas and puts a thousand on the Bucks repeating. I, it's just not a lock. And the reason that Brady is so valuable for everybody out there who's listening and who thinks what a cliche it is. Here's why it's valuable. Late in the year, Devin White is having one of the best years of any linebacker in the NFL, and he finds out he is not getting into the Pro Bowl. And when you're 22 years old and you've grown up, you're a huge NFL fan, you want to go to the Pro Bowl, even though there isn't going to be a Pro Bowl, but you want to get named to the team. And he's sulking about it one day, and Brady comes by and he goes, hey, who cares about the Pro Bowl? We're in this for another bowl, a bigger bowl. And Devin White immediately thought, what an idiot I am, you know, and, and it's, that's such a selfish way to look at it that I need to be in this for the Super Bowl. Brady's right. So that is what Brady does, especially to young players on the team. 
Yep, and I think he'll be doing that again all year long in 2021. We're going to take a break. We'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of PFTPM right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. One year ago today, the train came off the tracks for the Houston Texans. That was when they traded DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals without giving Deshaun Watson a heads up. He saw it on social media. Oh boy, here we are a year later and maybe they finally realize it's time to trade Deshaun Watson. Let's finish up by opening the mailbag, Peter, though. B-Flow Faux Show has a question about the Patriots. He wants to know this. Do you think Bill Belichick is saving something big for draft night? Nine picks and a very full roster right now. What's your gut tell you that Belichick may be plotting, if anything, on draft night? You know, building his roster so that he protects Cam Newton very well and that he knows in a division that is becoming much more pass-happy. If Zach Wilson goes to the Jets, Josh Allen in Buffalo, uh, you know, and, 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 and the AFC as a whole having much better passers. And who knows about Tua in Miami. So I look at it and I say, I don't think they're going to do anything ridiculous. They've already done the explosive things. They'll just take the best player that, he, that falls to them. AFC East becoming ridiculously competitive for 2021. The Bills are going to have their hands full with those other teams. Here's one from our good friend A Red Zone Alk. Is Robert Kraft driving the spending spree in New England? Peter, I think we both agree on the answer to this one. No, I mean, Bill Belichick has total control over the football operation, and this is his way to exercise it. But at the same time, Robert Kraft is thrilled that they are spending money even though they didn't make as much money last year. He's thrilled to spend money to be competitive in 2021. And of all the owners who have made money over the course of the last year, remember this, the Kraft's primary business interest is in paper goods and packaging, all the stuff that the Amazon deliveries show up in. So they've been making plenty of boxes over the past year and making plenty of money and spending it this week on new players. That's it for today. Thanks, Peter. We'll see everybody tomorrow morning for PFT Live. Have a great evening. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.